This Psalm 76, it celebrates the routing, the defeat of the Assyrian army. That invading force, it set itself against Hezekiah and Jerusalem. It was numerous and powerful. The Assyrians were skilled and experienced men of war. They had a string of notable victories to their credit. Kingdoms and nations, they crumbled when confronted with the military might and expertise. The gods of other nations, they proved powerless to deliver their followers from Sennacherib's clutches. Rabshakeh, the Assyrian captain, the false, that false, that bold blasphemer, he threw down the challenge that we read off in Second Kings chapter 18. Second Kings chapter 18, verses 33 to 35. And please put a marker in in this portion for we'll be coming back again. Second Kings chapter 18, verse 33. Rabshakeh, the Assyrian captain, throws out the challenge, hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and of Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim, Hena and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand? The Assyrians, they failed to take cognizance of the fact that when they set themselves against Hezekiah, and his people. They were setting themselves against the living and the true God, the Almighty God. The good fight of faith, it has to be fought in every age. We must engage against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Ours is a crooked and perverse generation. Truth has fallen in the street. Men call good evil and evil good. But this psalm, it highlights the happiness of the people of God in having the Lord of hosts as their captain. Asaph, the writer, he ascribes to the Lord glory and strength, the glory that is due to his name. Such is the dullness of our minds that we are liable to lose sight of the Lord. David was conscious of that tendency, for in Psalm 103 and verse 2, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He felt the need of giving to his own spirit this exhortation to bless the Lord 
and to forget not all his benefits. Uh, There is no God like our God, none like him in all the earth. And there is much to encourage and to challenge us in this psalm. Notice, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, the revelation, the revelation of God. When Asaph says, in Judah is God known, his name is great in Israel, in Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. In the land of Judah and Israel, God was known. His name was great. That was especially so in Salem, or as it is, Jerusalem. It was especially so in Zion. Zion was the place to which David brought the ark. It was where the temple was built by Solomon. It was the place where the tribes went up to give thanks unto the Lord's name. God said of Zion, This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. God was known among his ancient people as he was not known among other nations. That's reflected in Psalm 147, verses 19 and 20. He showed his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. All the people of Judah and Israel were especially favored. No other nation was so favored. The Lord showed to them his statutes, his judgments, his word. And the first verse here in Psalm 76 indicates that God is especially known in Judah. His name is great in Israel. And by the word known is meant freshly known. God has been made known anew by the recent deliverance that Asaph has in view. The Lord's name is greatly honored on account of the enemy, the Sennacherib and his army being confounded. The gods that multitudes worship this morning are idols. They have no existence outside the imaginations of their creators. Every Christian has a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And his greatness is unsearchable. He is great in his existence. For he is without beginning of days or end of life. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the one with whom a thousand years are but as one day. 
He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Great in his existence, great in his wisdom. Job 9 and verse 4 tells us that God is wise in heart. All the treasures of wisdom are hidden in him. He is most wise. There are no flaws, no defects in his wisdom. We may be wise in some matters and fools in many others, but God is wise in heart. And David could say in Psalm 31 and verse 15, My times are in thy hands. And in the perplexities and the trials, the difficulties of life, how important it is to keep that, in, that truth in mind. David's times were not in his own hands, for the way of man is not in himself. His times were not in his friends' hands, nor in his enemies' hands, but in the all-powerful, all-wise hands of the Lord. And David knew that his times could not be in better hands. I know not what may soon betide, but the Lord knows, and he'll provide. My life is by his counsel planned, and all my times are in his hand. I therefore trust and not fear, but cast on him all my care. Great in his existence, great in his wisdom, great in his strength. While some are mighty, God is almighty. Job 9 and verse 19 bears that out. When Job says, if I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. The Hebrew word for strength indicates a conquering, a prevailing strength. The Lord exhorts us in Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 13 to acknowledge his power. Isaiah 33 and verse 13. Hear ye that are afar off what I have done, and ye that are near acknowledge my might. He is the creator of all things, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. We have heard like David, that power belongeth unto God. And he is great also in his resources. The silver and the gold are his. The cattle upon a thousand hills. The world is his. And the fullness thereof. As a priest, the Lord was greater than the temple, as a prophet greater 
than Jonah, as a king greater than Solomon. No wonder Asaph in Psalm 73 and verse 26, he says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. The revelation, God is revealed, he is known. His name is great. The greatness of God is revealed here. But notice, secondly, the visitation in verse 3. In respect to his enemies, there's a visitation. There break he the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword, and the battle. This Assyrian army, vast and flushed with so many victories, they marshaled their forces against the people of God. They were so confident of success. They were fit and ready for the fray. They were equipped with chariots and horses, and success to them seemed certain. Under threat from this formidable force, Hezekiah prayed in Second Kings chapter 19, and the verse 19. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of this hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. Hezekiah prayed. He sought the Lord for deliverance. And in answer, swift judgment passed on Assyria. Verse 35. It came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. In answer, swift judgment passed on Assyria. By one angel, in one night, 185,000 were smitten down. As for Sennacherib, he met with a speedy and ignominious death in the house of his gods. He was slain with the sword at the hands of his own sons. Ah, the Assyrians had all the weaponry of war, bow and arrows, shields and swords, chariots and horses, but their tents are now full of the silent corpses of men who yesterday were full of vigor. The verse 6 in Psalm 76 spells out this visitation. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse are cast 
into a dead sleep or the sleep of death. Just a single stroke by the angel of the Lord brought the enemy to naught. Like the leaves of the forest when summer is green, that host with their banners at sunset were seen. Like the leaves of the forest when autumn hath blown, that host on the morrow lay withered and strown. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is able to confound all of his enemies and to bring them to naught. And that brings us thirdly to the implications, the implications of all of this. There are implications for governments. The the spirit of the Assyrians is abroad. It's alive and well among the nations this morning. Though a worldwide pestilence has made its presence felt among the nations, there is no acknowledgement of God. There is no contrition in high places. There is no humbling of heart. There is no seeking of God's mercy in our time. The Lord has this to say in Proverbs 8 and verses 15 and 16. By me kings reign and princes decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. But in the high places of your nation and mine, there is no acknowledgement of this great truth, that it's by God's permission that kings reign and princes decree justice. And in Psalm 76, In verse 12, we read, He shall cut off, the Lord shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is terrible to the kings of the earth. Matthew Henry commenting says, He shall slip off the power of princes as easily as we slip off a flower from the stalk, or a bunch of grapes from the vine. We read in Psalm 2 about rulers, about kings who reign. Psalm 2 and the opening verses, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. Kings and rulers that otherwise would be apart and diverse in their thinking and ways, they are brought together. They take counsel together. 
And over what do they make common cause? They make common cause. Do you see it in verse 2? Against the Lord. They are against the Christ of God. They are shaking their puny fists in defiance of his throne, of his authority. They are not only against the Christ of God, they are against the commands of God. They say in verse 3, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords, the cords of God's law, from us. Isn't that what is happening before our eyes? These kings and rulers are vehemently set on breaking the restraints of God's commandments and precepts in their quest to do what is right in their own eyes. The Lord who is the blessed and only potentate, verse 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in duration. The Lord's duration, contempt for his enemies, is reinforced by the visitation of his wrath and displeasure. Charles Bridges, the great preacher and and writer, commenting on Isaiah 9 and 6, the government shall be upon his shoulder. He says the government of this world is on the shoulders of the head of the church. And he will reign until his enemies become his footstool. Oh, we need to pray for those that are in authority, that they would be brought to acknowledge the highest authority, even as Nebuchadnezzar did. We have a telling chapter in Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, concerning Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verses, verse 30. The king, that is Nebuchadnezzar, spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? And verse, in verse 32, The Lord said, They shall drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. This proud Nebuchadnezzar was brought ever so low. But notice how he acknowledges the Most High in verses 34 and 5. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, 
and his kingdom from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? What a lesson this ruler learned. Oh, may the rulers, those who are over us, be brought to the same place to acknowledge the Most High. There are implications in this Psalm 76 for governments. There are implications for the godless. In Athens, Paul found an altar to the unknown God. The people lived in ignorance of the true God. God has made himself known in Christ. The Lord could say, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Oh, is it true that you listen to the preaching of the word from this pulpit, but you do not know the Lord? God has revealed himself, his wisdom, his love, his grace, his mercy in the gospel of his own dear Son. Oh, that you would be altogether persuaded to be a Christian. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 7 and 8 bring before us the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of that moment when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is the verse speaking of yourself? For you have not obeyed the gospel. You have not heeded the gospel call. Oh, I trust that you will not be like those who say in the words of Job 21 and verse 14, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. Oh, do not rest until you can affirm, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. Implications for governments, implications for the godless. There are implications for the godly. We learn from verses 7 and 11 with emphasis that the living and the true God is to be feared. Thou, even thou, art to be feared. Verse 11, let all that be round about him bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. We're not to fear man. That kind of fear brings a snare. As when Peter denied that he ever knew the Lord. Why is it that so few fear God today? They do not know God. 
They know nothing of his greatness and glory. When God's glory began to shine around Moses on Mount Sinai, what did he say? How did he react? He said, I exceedingly fear and quake. And what's in view is a filial fear. The fear that is in the family. The fear that children will have toward their parents. The fear of displeasing, of dishonoring them. And the fear of God reigning in our hearts will cause fulsome praise to flow from our lips. Notice how Asaph in verse 4, he reaches this high note of praise. Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. prey. He struck with the glory and the excellence, the majesty of his great God. Psalm 48 and the verse 1 tells us that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. O worship the King, all glorious above. O gratefully sing His power and His love, our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. The fear of God will bring will will prompt the fulfilling of our promises. See verse 11. Vow and pay unto the Lord thy God. We are to vow and pay. No doubt these people in Hezekiah's time, menaced by the enemy, fearful of the Assyrians, they made solemn vows. If God would only intervene, they made those vows before deliverance came. Now, these vows are to be kept, and so are our vows to be kept. May we always say with Jephthah, I have opened my mouth unto the Lord. And I cannot go back. May we fulfill, pay our vows before the Lord. And the fear of God reigning in our lives will also prompt faithful giving. We see this again in verse 11. Let all that are round about him bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. And we have the account of the the presence, the gifts, the giving of the people in 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 23. And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah. 
Oh, there was a prompt response. There was a faithfulness in their giving. May we give to the Lord as he has prospered us. May you and I be those cheerful givers of our tithes and our offerings. Abraham, we discover in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20, he gave Melchizedek tithes of all. It was an acknowledgement on Abraham's part that all belongs to God. And we have nothing but what we have received. Oh, may we be careful to bring to the Lord our gifts, our tithes, our offerings. And the fear of God reigning will prompt fervent prayer. Abba, Father, will be on our lips. We have thought in Second Kings chapter 19 how Hezekiah prayed. We might look again at the verses 14, 15, and 16. Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers from Rabshakeh. He read it. He went into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Verse 15, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast, thou, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Oh, how fervently Hezekiah sought the Lord. And he received an abundant answer. Verse 20, Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Hezekiah prayed, and the Lord heard. He received an abundant answer. The Lord revealed himself to, to Abraham in Genesis 17 and verse 1, as the Almighty God. And Hezekiah discovered in these circumstances that his God is El Shaddai, the God who is enough, who is sufficient. The Lord sent a remarkable deliverance he is the God who is enough, always enough. No matter how dark the day, no matter how deep the apostasy of our time, let us not despair. Let us continue in prayer and seek him 
fervently until the Lord comes and breaks up the fallow ground and rain righteousness upon his church. Oh, may this set time come to favor Zion, and may it be true in our time that among his people is God known. His name is great among his people. May we see the mighty works of our covenant-keeping God as Asaph records here in this psalm. May the Lord encourage our hearts through his word. Let us unite our hearts for a moment in prayer, please. Our gracious God and Father, we thank thee for reminding us of who thou art. Thou art not as the gods of men's hands that have eyes but see not and ears that hear not, hands that, that work not. Thou art the Almighty. Thou art the one with whom nothing shall be impossible and none of thy people can ever ask of thee a hard thing. Thou art great and greatly to be praised. And every time we come together to worship, Lord, may our hearts be fulsome in the praise of thy name. Help us, O Lord, to bring uh, the presence of our lives to thee, what thou hast already given to us. Help us in return to give joyfully, to give liberally, to be unstinted in our tithes and offerings. And, O Lord, deliver us from fainting fits when it comes to the place of prayer. Help us not to faint, but to pray, to pray fervently as Hezekiah did. And, Lord, we have discovered that Thou didst hear his prayer and cause a visitation of the enemy in judgment, bringing them to naught. And we do pray, O God, that the powers that be in high places today will be brought to where Nebuchadnezzar came to acknowledge the Most High, the one who does whatsoever he pleaseth. O Lord, have mercy upon us in our day, we pray, and cause a great awakening. O Lord, it is time for thee to work, for they have made void thy law. Work mightily among us and overthrow the powers of darkness. We ask it in the Savior's name. Amen. Amen.